Okay, well, we'll go ahead and take a moment and dismiss children for Children's Church. So four years old up through second grade. If you'd like, you can head upstairs at this time. We had our monthly elders meeting this past week, and we were just discussing the great privilege and opportunity to shepherd and steward the children in this church, and um, uh, we were recounting the blessing of the Lord that in any given week during our ministry here, from high school age on down, we have about 85 to 90 uh, children in our church. So I know you probably feel that just on a regular Sunday or Wednesday night that we are just teeming with kids, which is wonderful, just the blessing of the Lord. But uh, just to hear that number, uh, to allow our minds to just maybe continue to pray and to think about the stewardship of these young lives and the entrusting of the gospel that we want to deliver down to them. It's just a great privilege and responsibility. So always excited to see them, uh, the ones that dismiss here for Children's Church uh, running out and all of the ones that we get to be blessed with on a weekly basis. Uh, We praise the Lord for that. This last Sunday night, the young adults small group got together here at the church and watched a missionary documentary. And this one in particular was about the gospel work that is going on in China. And so the gentleman who puts these on, his name is Tim, and he flew to China and he was meeting up with a young Christian woman there by the name of Mili, and she lived in Shanghai. And as he met with her, they, they walked along the river that goes through Shanghai there, the Wangpu River. That's just kind of fun to say, the Wangpu. But that river that's flowing there, <clears throat> they were walking along on the pier, and um, they saw a woman who was reaching into a bag and throwing fish live fish that were in the bag, throwing them out of the bag back into the river. And so I thought this would be a a great question to ask and to open with this morning. Why was she doing that? Why was she throwing fish back into the river uh, that had been caught earlier that day? So we have a short video clip. It's just a minute or two here of that segment and this documentary showing this woman, and they explain why she was doing that. So John, if you could go ahead and roll this, we'll see it. Thank you. 
the announcements in it, and the fish should offer that kind of circle life. He's like money in the bank of heaven. Righteous sperm from it, which was what else was one when she shot and the love of lab when she shaved him over my head. Man, I'm to be a rich woman. I better get rich as you can. What is this next time I ran out? Not how you look back down, but what to do. And be just as another car, like my great great little sister, and she has this morning. Okay. Jonathan, you can cut that uh, there. It's interesting, isn't it? We, we might watch something like that and wonder, what would cause people to do this? What would cause them to spend a large amount of money to throw fish back into the river to believe that that somehow buys them a rung up the ladder in their next life or to buy them some kind of uh, privilege in heaven? Could probably be a number of reasons. Could be the pressures of society, and that's uh, what, what they're living around. It could be long-standing tradition of cultures. It could be maybe sometimes the person's own inner fear, even if that fear is based on something that is inaccurate. Or it could be listening to the charisma of a leader who's teaching them to do such things. Whatever the influential reason, the fact of the matter remains this. The woman in the video and many others like her, they've been taken captive. They've been ta taken captive by deceitful lies that leave her soul empty and her eternal destination lost. And of course, it's not just Buddhism, but all earth-born religions and spiritual ideas that capture and ruin the souls of countless people. You know, in America, it's probably not the throwing back of live fish into a river that we encounter, but we have plenty of our own versions of man-made religious ideas here that are alive and well. We're pressed and we're tempted to worship at the altar of materialism and independence and comfort and entertainment. And essentially, the American religious dream, of course, we've all probably heard of the American dream, but the American religious dream is to create your own reality, to be able to define your own truth, become your own God, knowing good and evil. And as we study Genesis in these past couple of years, we know that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, that it is, it is the desire of the fallen sinful creature to be independent of God, to create our own reality, to say, God, we want everything from you. We just don't want you. Though the era and the living standards are way different in some ways than they were in biblical days, there are a lot of things that are still the same. The danger of false teaching is still alive and kicking today. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is addressing in our text. Paul had a heavy heart and a great concern for the people who were being pulled down a destructive path of untruth. So in today's text, we'll see him offer a great warning to avoid the emptiness of untruth. This is what the Apostle Paul is going to speak to us today through God's word, to 
warn us to avoid the emptiness of man's ideas of religion, trying to build a ladder up to heaven, trying to build ourselves up to God, and instead listen to the revealed truth that is this. God has made a way for us in the person of Jesus Christ. So we avoid the emptiness of man's ideas, and we commit ourselves afresh and anew to the fullness that we have in Jesus Christ. So I've titled this morning's message, How to Guard Against False Teaching. This is part two. We began part one last Sunday. This will probably end up being about a four-part series as we look at Colossians chapter two, because this becomes really the focal point of Paul's letter here to the Colossian church. It was no doubt in response to some things that were happening. It was no doubt in response to some information that the Apostle Paul had received about some false teachers and some false teaching that were looking to make some inroads into the church there. And so nearly the entire chapter of Colossians chapter 2, this focal point of the letter, zeroes in on this idea of false teaching and how the Colossian church was to bolster themselves against the false teaching. And so that is going to be the focus once again this morning as we turn to Colossians chapter 2, how we can guard ourselves, how can we can be on our guard and having a grid of discernment anytime teaching presents itself of wondering and being like the Bereans in the book of Acts, testing and searching the scriptures to see whether these things that we hear are in fact true. Since today's part two, I want to just take a moment and review last week, which was part one. And this entire thing that the Apostle Paul is doing with the Colossian church is this, to let their eyes remain focused on Jesus Christ. That if you can stay there, if you can remain there, um, that might be 90% of the battle against false teaching that you keep your eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith, says Hebrews 12, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. But last week, we looked specifically, as Paul begins to get into this in a little bit more detail, that part of this is continuing to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. This was the point we looked at last Sunday from verses 6 and 7. So a quick review here, how do we guard against false teaching? Continue living under the lordship of Jesus Christ. A well-guarded Christian, we could say it this way, a well-guarded Christian is not one who merely receives the Lord at some defined point in their life. But a well-guarded Christian is more than that. A well-guarded Christian, rather, is one who continues walking day by day in consistent submission to Jesus Christ. In other words, as a Christian would begin to drift away from the lordship of Jesus Christ, they're opening the door to all kinds of other beliefs that could be errant, seeping in and leaking into their life. The apostle Paul says, as you've received the Lord Jesus Christ, so continue walking in him. Continue that walk. In short, basically he's saying this, that our hearts should be ready and willing to say yes to Jesus every day, 
to say yes to Jesus every turn of the way of our life. It's not just about receiving him, but about continuing to walk in him. The ones who are following Jesus Christ, who are walking and saying yes to him, have bolstered their life against the false teaching. That is the first step. And as Christians joyfully live under the lordship and joyfully live under the direction, joyfully live under the governance of Jesus, we ended last week with this wonderful phrase, we abound in thanksgiving. We are people who overflow, who bubble up, who press over with thanksgiving. We should be Christians who are regularly rehearsing all of the privileges that we have in Jesus. We're regularly reminding ourselves of all that we have. This is something that is a wonderful privilege and a blessing to us, brothers and sisters, that we, um, that we live with gratitude to the Lord. Personally, I'm very thankful of God's continued patience and presence with me as I go through life. I look back at my 20s in life and say, Lord, thank you for being patient and bearing with me and your presence of strengthening me. Look back into the decade of my 30s, the same thing. Now that I'm in my 40s, I can say the same prayer. God, thank you. Let my heart over flood, overflow with joy that you have been patient, strengthening, walking with in presence, growing me all the way. Christians, we could be saying that prayer daily, abounding in thanksgiving for all that God has done for us. So we do want to be abounding in thanksgiving, thanking God for his continued love, his patience, and his attention to us. That is a short recap of last Sunday. Step number one, how to guard against false teaching We live under the governance of Jesus Christ and we abound in thanksgiving. Let's move on to today. As we press a little bit further into Paul's passage here, we begin looking at verse 8. And here is the second way that we can guard ourselves against false teaching. Begins here in verse 8. The point is this, that we resist human ideas of religion that will only leave you empty. Resist human ideas of how God wants us to get to him. Resist those human ideas that only leave you feeling empty. They're promises that will never be fulfilled. Let's look at Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Scripture says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So to summarize this and to the point, we resist human ideas. These would be the things that are empty deceit. These would be the things that are according to human tradition. We resist these ideas that only leave us empty, or as Paul would say here, empty deceit. The first thing we notice here in verse 8 is this strong warning that the Apostle Paul gives. He says, see to it. It doesn't quite come through in the English with the gusto that he writes it. This is a very emphatic warning and places a, a sober responsibility on each Christian to do this, to be awake, to be alert, 
for this very thing, that no one takes you captive. You know, it would be like the Apostle Paul putting a road sign up, driving along the highway of life. I think we all appreciate it when we might see a road sign that would say something like, falling rocks ahead. Well, thank you. Now I'm aware and I know to be on the lookout. Or if we see a deer crossing sign or see something like, beware that the bridge may be icy before the pavement. This puts us on alert so that we know what to be aware of and how to be prepared and how to be sober-minded. There's been a couple of times in my life where there has uh, been a failure to warn me of some dangerous animals in the area. I remember a number of years ago being in Pennsylvania, and I was waiting around in a creek with some of the youth uh, that were on this trip uh, with me. We were catching crawdads or something. I don't know what was happening. All of a sudden, this black bear comes running right by us, tearing across the water. And I just remember thinking, I think our day of catching crawdads is over and slowly walked back to where we were to safety. But I never saw a sign that said, beware of bears. There was one other time years ago being in Zimbabwe, Africa. I was walking along Victoria Falls Park. It's a beautiful park there. Pavement all along the way to see this great gorge of water flowing over. And as I looked to my right, I saw the back end of a lion duck behind a bush about 20 feet away. Again, my day was over at that point, and I thought, why weren't there any signs didn't know that in the highly populated area of tourism that there would be wild lions walking around? But such as it was, it, it is no fun, and none of us appreciate not being warned of something that could be detrimental to our lives. The Apostle Paul does not do that here. Instead, he, he flashes up with lights, he flashes up with the, with the large-sounding horn to say to all of us, beware, be alert, be on your guard, because there is false teaching and false teachers that are living in every age, in every era of Christianity, that is looking not just to rob you of some bit or piece of truth, but to, in his words, capture you. This is what he says, see to it, be sober-minded, be alert, that no one takes you captive. So yes, we are reading here, there is a collective burden that exists on the whole as a church and as a ministry to watch out for false teaching and to be on the alert. But that is what is being talked about here. The Apostle Paul is saying that it is also each individual person's responsibility. You personally need to be aware that there are teachers and teaching out there that don't just want to peck a little bit of truth out of your pocket and take it away from you. They want to swallow you up altogether and run off with you as though you are some great prize of war. The idea of being taken captive here is the idea of being kidnapped. It's the idea of being carried off as plunder or spoil. That is the seriousness with which the Apostle Paul is warning us as Christians, beware, see to it that no one takes you captive. Now, we are able to recognize this false teaching 
by a number of qualities that he talks about here. And he's going to give some more general qualities this Sunday. And in the coming Sundays, as we get a little further down in this passage, we'll see some very specific things that he's going to outlay for us. But today, he keeps it on a little bit higher level, a little bit broader generalization. But there are some qualities here that we can learn from. What does this false teaching look like? What what are some of the characteristics or the qualities of it? Well, first of all, he says in verse 8 here, it is empty. That this is teaching that is empty. Now, it doesn't mean that it won't look or sound or present itself as something very good or fanciful. In fact, that's the very appeal or the draw of false teaching. But he says in the end, if you look past the veneer of what is going on, in the end, false teaching is empty. It's biting into a rotten apple. It's finding this teaching to be fruitless. It's empty and it's deceptive. And as a side note here, the Apostle Paul's not condemning love of wisdom. You might see the word in in verse 8, philosophy. Philosophy simply means love of wisdom. He's not condemning love of wisdom on the total in general. He's rather condemning philosophy that is detached from Christ. A philosophy that gives man's viewpoint only. A philosophy that is man trying to discern his way to God rather than, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, Christ, who in him lives all of the wisdom and knowledge. And so this idea here of empty deceit is one of the ways that we can tell when a teaching is false. It's just empty. Secondly, though, we can see in this verse that it's something that is humanly. It's something that has the aura of just humanity to it. It's rooted in human tradition. You say, well, and it might have some kind of an updated, modern twist to it, but but it has the smell and it has the aura of human ideas only. Human religion and human religious tradition has always been built on the idea that you as a person earn your way into God's good favor. That is the telltale sign. That is the hallmark of any false teaching. It is this, that somehow by your effort, by your work, by your uh, doing something, you can earn your way into God's favor based solely on your own efforts and work. That is a telltale sign. He said, that is false teaching. It is according to human traditions. Thirdly, though, we see at the end of verse 8, it has basic elementary ideas. So Paul writes, see to it that no one takes you captive, no one uh, runs you off, kidnaps you, and steals you away from the truth. By philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits, Uh, Some of your translations might say principles. But according to these elementary ideas of the world and not according to Christ. These basic elementary ideas. It's a tough phrase to translate. That's why some of the translations go with spirits, meaning demonic spirits. Some of them go with elementary ideas. But either way, the end of verse 8 clarifies this for us. It is any teaching that deviates from the true and refreshing teaching 
that is founded upon and exalts Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, is altogether contrasted and it is altogether different than the message of human religion. Human religion says, what can we do to partner together to build our building up to God? The message of the gospel, which is godly wisdom, which is truth, is what has God done to provide a way for us to be restored to him? That is the wisdom. That is the knowledge of Jesus Christ. God has provided the way that we must take by faith, not of works, or else we would boast, says Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Well, now we arrive at the meat of the passage. Verses 9 and 10 of our text today is really the meat of the passage. The opposite of this empty and deceptive false teaching is the fulfilling and honest, true teaching of Jesus Christ. So on the one hand, you have emptiness. Now we're going to see as we look at verse 9, you have fullness. You have something that truly fulfills the longing of the human soul. And that fulfillment is Jesus Christ. Look with me at verse 9. Here we have the point that what we are to do is recall the divine truth that Jesus Christ and him alone is what fills us. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9. For in him, that is Christ, in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So He's going to introduce what this means of Christ. He's going to speak of what Christ is on his own. And then we'll turn to verse 10 and what this means for us and how it affects us. And in verse 10, Paul writes, and you have been filled in him. He is the fullness. He is the definition of what it means to be full. You have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. What are we to do in our being aware of fighting against false teaching, we recall this truth that it is Jesus Christ alone who fills us. There's empty deceit out there. Christ is the true fullness. In him, in Christ, Jesus was sent to earth from heaven in order to be the one and only divine representation of God to humanity. This is verse 9. In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. One of the reasons that idols were so condemned in the Old Testament is because a, a visible representation of deity was reserved for Jesus alone. And so to make an idol was to steal that glory away. Christ is the one and only visible representation of the fullness of God, not a little uh, human-made idol of wood or stone. Uh, uh, that is just to be discarded. As one of the Old Testament prophets said, all those things are good for is bouncing on the backsides of donkeys as they ride along. That's all those things are good for. Jesus Christ is the authorized, one and only, visible authority of Jesus Christ, this, or this visible demonstration of God, that is reserved for him and him alone. And so it is in Christ, as this phrase says, the fullness of deity dwells. 
The fullness of deity dwells. Paul has already mentioned this back in chapter 1, verse 19, but here he repeats it with crystal clarity. The fullness of God resides in Christ. Though manifest in human form, Jesus Christ is fully divine. This means he was perfect in all of his qualities. It means he was perfect in all of his attributes. Jesus was perfect in compassion. He was perfect in justice. He was perfect in mercy and holiness and truth. In Jesus Christ, the full display, the totality of God's glory and salvation and majesty was made known to us as humans in Jesus Christ. This verse, Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, is one of the most clear statements in all of the Bible that Jesus is God in the flesh. In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The fullness of deity is revealed in Jesus Christ. Now, this is going to have direct relevance to this conversation about false teaching as we move on to verse 10, because Paul says now in verse 10, with the fullness that is Christ, you have been filled. With his fullness, we are filled. Let's look at verse 10 once again. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Because, the Apostle Paul says in verse 10, with the fullness that is Christ, you've been filled. So not only who Christ is, he's the fullness of deity, but what he's done for you, he has filled you. It's not empty. You don't walk away from Christ needing something else. You walk away from Christ satisfied, fully satisfied. Oh, brothers and sisters, do you remember the moment you came to Christ? Do you remember the moment of your awakening and your conversion? Do you remember how peaceful and satisfying that is to know that sins are forgiven, that God has a place for you, that you are now the family of God, and that your relationship with him has now been repaired for all of eternity? Do you remember that moment? It, it is a moment of awe that we have been filled with the fullness of Jesus Christ. And it puts our hearts at rest and peace. You say, well, what does this look like? That Christ, the whole fullness of deity in him, and then we've been filled in him. Well, what does that look like? Well, here might be just a small picture of what that idea could look like. Suppose you were standing on the shore of the ocean, Pick one, the Atlantic, the Pacific. You're standing on the shore of an ocean. And the ocean represents the fullness of Christ. As far as the eye can see, nothing but ocean. That is the fullness of Christ. But here you are on the shore of the ocean, standing there with a, a jar. And you fill up your jar with the ocean water. Your jar becomes full from the fullness of the ocean. Maybe that's just a small representation or a small picture of what this verse is teaching, that in the vast fullness of Jesus Christ, we come and we dip our little life vessel, our little jar into Christ, and we become full of all of his fullness because that is who he is. 
And so we'll, we'll end the message today on this note. Paul contrasts the empty ideas of religion that look to deceive, that look to capture, that look to somehow tell people that they can build their own ladder to heaven. He contrasts that idea of emptiness with the experience of the fullness that we have in Jesus Christ. There's no other comparison. I just wonder with a couple of questions here, Christian, do you rehearse and recall that fullness? Do you savor and cling to and revel in the blessings that you have in Jesus Christ? Do you glory in his love and his invitation and forgiveness? Do you appreciate the constant presence and the strength that he gives you for today and tomorrow? Do you drink in the refreshing waters of truth and assurance that he and he alone brings to your soul? Christian, you've been filled, brim full in Christ. Why would you ever chase an empty human idea that leaves Christ sitting on the sidelines? That is the argument of the Apostle Paul today. Christ has done so much for you. Why would you listen to anything that leaves him out of the picture? And I want to close this morning's message by just telling you about a song. The song was written by a man named Charles Weigel. He was actually born and raised in Indiana. As a young boy, he had a fiery temper, and he would tell about this in his testimony uh, before coming to Christ, that at one time, he injured one of his older brothers with a knife. Uh, he had actually taken a baseball bat and hit one of the neighbor boys as well in the neighborhood. He, he just had a, a fiery temper and couldn't control it. His parents often warned him that that was going to be his downfall. But he came to know Christ, and his life changed. One day, he was a, a lover of music. He sat down at his piano, and he began doing what the Apostle Paul is talking about right here in Colossians chapter 2. He began, he began recounting and remembering the blessings and the goodness and the fullness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he ended up writing this song, No One Ever Cared for Me Like Jesus. He sat down, he wrote this song in just about 20 minutes. And the words go like this. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus, since I found a friend in him so strong and true. I would tell you how he changed my life completely. He did something that no other friend could do. And then the chorus, no one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. Brothers and sisters, this is the song of a person who is guarding himself against false teaching. It is the song of a person who knows the fullness of Christ and recounts and recalls how much Christ means to him. And I hope that for us here today, it is our song as well. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. Why would I leave him 
on the sidelines. Let's close our time this morning in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, the clarity of it, the simplicity of it, the power of it, instructing us today to be mindful, thoughtful Christians, looking to the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ, looking to him continually, looking to him lovingly and affectionately for all that he has done for us. Lord, we thank you for the fullness that we have in Jesus Christ. Draw us nearer and closer to him each day. It's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.